Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Aspiration, a new way to manage your money. I talk a lot about conscious consumerism and spending your money wisely, sustainable businesses, blah, blah, blah. Once I realized there was more to my money than just my purchases, I started really questioning where my money is sitting, aka my bank. Once I learned that big banks invested hundreds of billions of dollars into fossil fuels last year alone, I knew there had to be something better. And that's when I found Aspiration. You can get up to 10% cash back at environmentally friendly partners. You can access up to 20 times the interest of a traditional bank. And the best part is Aspiration will never use your money to fund fossil fuels. For a limited time, my listeners will get up to $200 when you open an account at aspiration.com slash eco. It's never been easier to sign up for a better world. Aspiration.com slash eco. Everything you do is making an impact in this world. This is not an elitist issue. This is a quality of life issue. How dare you? And I feel like it's my responsibility as a human being. So what? The world is at stake. You're listening to Eco Chic, a podcast about climate, sustainability, and eco-conscious lifestyles. Hey, y'all. What? Like it's hard? Eco Chic, the eco-conscious lifestyle podcast. My name is Laura Diaz. It's so good to have you here today. And I want to just give you a little personal slash professional podcast news update. I'm so excited because I got a new microphone. I hope you appreciate the sound quality because I actually haven't treated myself to a new microphone since the show started three years ago. And I had a nice microphone. I really enjoyed it. And everyone always complimented my sound quality when I started, you know, not to pat myself on the back, but I figured for the podcast birthday, I was ready to treat myself, got the microphone that I would had my eye on for a little while, and I'm so excited. I'm still playing around, but I feel like a new level of a very serious podcaster now. So not that I wasn't serious before, but wow, am I excited to host conversations, to keep bringing you value, to just do this forever and ever. So thanks so much for joining me. So happy to have you here today because we are having a conversation with Abena Boman Achimpong, the founder of Hanahana Beauty. Hanahana is a line that started with shea butter. It is the most delicious shea butter I personally have ever used, so moisturizing. But more broadly, Hanahana is a brand that I admire really, really deeply because I think that it is the most true example of a transparent ethical, sustainable brand that I have come across 
in all of the conversations that I've had in all of my own searching, I've truly never seen a brand quite like Hanahana. And I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation with Abena because I believe that she is so thoughtful, so, so holistic in the way that she approaches business. She understands and explains what it means to run a truly sustainable business in a way that I have never heard anyone talk about it before. And I truly cannot hype up this interview enough because it is so good. Hanahana is, like I mentioned, a brand of shea butter and other body care products that was really inspired by Abena's own upbringing in a Ghanaian household. And she discusses with us today what that cultural home meant to her, how she grew up and how culture was always such a big part of her life and how shea butter is such a huge part of Ghanaian culture and for black women, what shea butter truly means versus cocoa butter. And we talk about big brands. We talk about the white supremacy in the beauty space. We talk about her travels to Ghana and what it means for her to understand the people that are creating the product that sustains her business long-term and how she manages to be an active partner with them. So we talk very thoroughly about her supply chain, but more importantly, the people in the supply chain, the people that are creating this product, the people that she is sustaining with her sales, and what it means to not just pay fair wages, but really show up and create a better life and to create access for people that are, again, sustaining her brand and this business that we are all benefiting from as consumers. So more largely, we do talk about access, we talk about sustainability, we talk about ethics, we talk about recognizing an ethics inconsistency. It is a really fascinating story about how she got into the business of Shea Butter, how she found the co-op that she still works with, what this brand is evolving into four years later. And I'm thrilled for you to listen to the conversation. And also, I really do encourage you to check out the Hanahana platforms if you are in the market for a very luxurious Shea Butter. Highly recommend it. I want to add also that Hanahana's Shea Butter is a very accessible price point, in my opinion. It is between $28 and $30 for a tub of Shea Butter just under seven ounces. So a really healthy amount of product for not nearly as much as I would think that it'd cost for such a transparent brand, for something that is paying fair wages to everyone in the supply chain, for something that's supplying healthcare access to a co-op in Ghana. Oh my goodness, it just goes on and on. And I think that access and price point is a major, really interesting facet of our conversation today as well. And I also have to say that I learned about Hanahana and I learned about Abena's story through Brooke DeVard of the Naked Beauty Podcast. And if you follow me on Instagram, I feel like I talk about the Naked Beauty Podcast every Monday when it comes out. I love the podcast. It is such an interesting way to learn about beauty, ethical beauty, to talk about black beauty. And I love Brooke DeVard. So if I was a podcast that had a weekly segment at the top of the episode or something that I was chatting with a co-host about and we had to say our highs and lows for the week or, you know, something that we're admiring, whatever, it would totally be the Naked Beauty Podcast. So anyway, that's my plug on that. Thank you so much to Brooke for introducing me to Abena and introducing me to Hanahana. I have since enjoyed multiple tubs of this shea butter and I was like, I got to hear the whole story from the source. I have to invite Abena on. And I am so thankful that she graciously let me pick her brain and just shared so much knowledge and wisdom. Because again, this is 
one of the most thorough, transparent conversations about access, about ethics, about sustainability, about beauty, beauty standards, self-care. Oh my God, we just get into it. This is a value-packed episode. I'm so excited for y'all to listen to it. And if you enjoy today's episode, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Helps me out a lot. You can send it to a friend. You can follow it on Spotify. And you can check me out on social. I am at Eco Chic Podcast on Instagram. And all of my links will be in the show notes. So always excited to connect with you there and looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the episode. So Without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the show, Abena of Hanahana Beauty. Enjoy. Abena, thank you so much for joining me. I'm thrilled to have you here today. I want to hear all about your childhood. I want you to take me like way, way back and tell me where you came from. Yeah, so I was born in D.C., and I'm the youngest, so I'm the only daughter. I have an older brother. My parents both are Ghanaian, and my parents made the decision for both my brother and I that at six months that we would go back home and live in Ghana with our grandparents. So I honestly think that's like one of the best decisions. And also like as a millennial that's to have a child, I am like, yeah, that makes sense to finish out school, to finish out everything we were doing, and for us like to be able to learn the language. So my first language was Chi, and then I learned English when I came back to the States, um, and I started preschool here. And I feel like my childhood was like, I was just obsessed with like being good at what I was doing. <laughs> like, honestly, like anything that I was doing, I just wanted to be good at it. Like first it was like, if my brother's good at it, I want to try it and then see if I'm good at it. And if I am, then let's continue. Like, and I think I just took that on in every like aspect, like from piano, I played piano from like a childhood. My dad's like literally one of the smartest people I know. He's a straight up mathematician, but also a pianist. And so he like taught us and then it was like lessons from track. Like I ran track all the way into college. As a kid, I remember being literally obsessed with like Bengal tigers and just like learning <laughs> about tigers or like about the brain. Like, I think I was just like, as a kid, I would just focus on things, but also very much scattered and all around. But my parents were just so they made sure that we understood where we were from, that we got like that traditional or understanding that you're Ghanaian, like we lived in a Ghanaian household. And then like when we left, we experienced what it meant to be a Ghanaian or a, like a child, a black child in the US too. So it was like this, like both, you know, back and forth, but it was like, I grew up in the suburbs, you know, I didn't really understand exactly like just all the different things around the world, but I also understood a lot about the world because of just being Ghanaian and like my parents were just very honest about what it meant to be a person and a Black person in America. Um, so, yeah. Wow. Well, I have a lot of respect for your parents for really incorporating this culture into your household because I was telling you before we started recording, I'm Cuban and that was a big part of my upbringing, especially just growing up in a community with other individuals like myself and other families that like really attach themselves to each other. And I think in America, I don't know if it exists as much anymore, but when I was younger, I remember thinking that like the immigrant narrative was one that was so different from everyone else. 
but it's not like everyone has their own immigrant story and everyone has to have these kind of cultural experiences at home to maintain that. So I love that your parents really incorporated that in you and that you have so much appreciation for it. Because I also think that it's clearly a huge part of your business. Like you've really taken to part that cultural understanding that you have. Okay. So before we even get into the business and going to Ghana and how you've been able to incorporate all of these really important cultural values, I want you to talk to me a little bit about the inception of your business, because you do something really special. You do something really high quality and something that not a lot of people can say that they do to the level that you do. Well, thank you. I started Hana Hana in 2017. And, you know, I think to like talk about why Hana Hana was started and all that type of stuff, I have to think back to like 2015, 2014, when I was like making Shay as a teacher and as someone that just entered grad school. So my master's is in counseling psych. So I was a teacher, a math teacher in Chicago, um, algebra teacher, seventh through eighth grade. I was a woman's studies advisor. And then I was attending Loyola for my master's program. So I was like, just in this space where I was like, honestly, I'm gonna do anything to get where I want. But also, like, I really care about the kids. And so I'm going to do anything to make sure that, like, I can actually, like, serve this community because I was 23, 24 when I started teaching. And before that, I had been in the clinical setting. So I was experiencing and understanding what it meant to, like, provide access and also deny access to people just because of insurance. So I was already pretty, like, upset about a lot of different systems. And so then when you go into the education system, and again, like I said, like my education was suburban Ohio education, like honors classes. I could do anything I wanted to do, like opportunity after opportunity. And then I'm now a teacher in Chicago and I'm like seeing how like the lack of access and how the systems are just really not actually benefiting the children that they're supposed to serve. So I was like in that mindset and I had no at all thought of running a business. My only thought when it came to Shea Butter was that I wanted to create something for myself. So literally I was not dry or ashy and I just wanted to make sure that it was clean and it was, I didn't probably know the language of clean. I just wanted to make sure I knew what was in it because I was realizing that what I was putting on my body, I didn't know. And I think that was this state of like, kind of like knowing what was going on in the world also around that time. There's a lot of unlearning happening around that time, I feel like, for a lot of Black women that probably went to, you know, PWIs and were experiencing different things, but then you're living in the city and you're realizing like who you are and your identity. And I just like wanted to take control and hold of one thing, which was like what I was putting on my body. Um, Because I think at the end of it, I was just like, wait, like... (laughs) I think there's this moment where I was like, white supremacy is everywhere. And that also includes in the beauty space because who is making your products? And I want to have control of what is on my body. And so that's like where literally even like the small pieces of Hana Hana and why I feel like, you know, we move and communicate in the way we do, um, where it may seem sometimes very direct and straightforward, but also not afraid to talk about different things is because like me, my identity was made up of so many things. Like I came up from a teaching background and like it was 
even when it came 2017, it was like, how do you utilize what you've learned, your experiences and this grad school <laughs> experience, right, into this business. And it was just about being able to think about the full process. Even just with Hanahana, when I started, it was about like the excitement and the curiosity about the process and understanding of like where Shay was made. So yeah, sorry. I feel like I'm just like talking. <laughs> oh, no, no. oh my goodness. No, I love your story. And I'm so sorry that it had set it up so that you could tell me all about your teaching experience <laughs> because I have so much respect for, I mean, of course, like anyone who works in any sort of teaching role, but I think going one step further and talking about access is so important, especially in obviously in what you do now, because you talk a lot about access in Hanahana and you do, you also have this very interesting understanding of the process and like white supremacy and saying like, who is creating my products? Also as a white woman who grew up in like a very human environment, I wasn't actively taught anything about lotioning my body, which is such a, you know, that's, that's such a silly thing for me to say, but I didn't even realize that there were levels of, of quality in Shay. I didn't realize that until I, I started becoming more aware of other people's stories in the beauty space. So when we talk about accessibility, it also goes back to what you were saying culturally, like making sure that you are in touch with what's important to your community and, and bringing that to your experience into this like general American culture. Yeah. So I guess I also would love to ask you to explain Shay to me. Like talk to me about Shay as if I was a five-year-old. Like if I've okay. never heard of it before, why is it so powerful? What's the big deal? Yeah. So Shea butter, before it becomes Shea butter, it comes from a tree and it's actually a Shea plant. It's like this beautiful, it's like our logo actually is the Shea plant. So there's a fruit and inside the fruit is a nut and any oil, any butter is extracted usually from the nut of a fruit tree. So this one is from the shea tree. And what the women end up doing is they use that dried nut that is like the seedling basically. And they go through a full process to make it to shea butter where they have to grind it down first. Before traditionally, shea butter was made more within homes. And a lot of times shea butter, um, comes from West African countries, the Northern areas of West African countries. So in Ghana, Tamale, Wa, like upper uh, West areas, I'm upper East, upper West, I'm Tamale area in Nigeria, even in the Northern areas, um, Ivory Coast also, and Togo, I think they also produce some shea there too. So it was more so a traditional thing that people would produce at home for their families to put on their body. So you would break it down, you would um, basically whip it. <laughs> There's just like a full process that would go down. You would roast the seed, you would break down the seed, you would then add water, you know, and then it would end up being shea or shea oil. And so the healing prop is the reason why shea is so nice and so great is because it has a lot of different vitamins it's a, it has a lot of different benefits in the sense of like from your your antis right it kind of hits all your antis for you if you want to say that right and then also it's just moisturizing and the reason why it was so great in the north is because it was so hot and it was protective so like shea butter can't be a substitute for sunscreen. I want to say that one more time because sometimes the girls try to say it can, but it's not. However, it does have certain um, 
benefits that it can um, be helpful with UV rays. And not that like, you know, the traditional people knew exactly what that meant in the beginning, but that's one of the reasons because it was in Tumblr, it's very dry and it's very hot. So being able to put something on that will last and also like protect you, um, that's why people are using it. And it's so funny because like my mom, even when I talked to her, I have like this video. She's like, when I was a kid, I didn't even use it either because it was just for like the people in the North. We didn't even think of it as something for us. And then she's like, but then it was like, this is so great for my skin. And, you know, people do different mixtures in it. Um, sometimes they'll add this herb called Pagani, which actually like if you chew it, it can help um, diagnose or help with malaria. Um, so people would use it that way, but they also put it in there. So when you see like the difference of like white shea or yellow shea, if it's not the fake shea, which people put add palm oil to it, which is so sad is actually the herb Pagani that they would design. I think I'm saying that thing, but I might be saying that incorrect, but it's this herb that they used to make. So like there's different formats of shea butter. And like, I mean, as a kid, like if I would get hurt, my dad was just rub some shea butter in it and he would like massage that. In. Like, you know, you rub it in, you do whatever. Like, so people would honestly, and we call it Incuto. So that's like the chi name for it, Incuto. And so it's just like, okay, Incuto. And you'll just like use it that way. So, and it's usually hard though. And I think that's why people get really excited about like Hanahana and like whip shades and the different ways that you can manipulate shades. Like, you know, shea butter is literally used in 75% of your beauty products that you purchase. Like just unknowingly, it's one of those base products that's used trickled in. It might be a small dose, but it's in there. And it's like, it can be manipulated in so many different ways in the beauty space and also as an edible format too, because you can use it as like your oil or your butter. So it's a really special like ingredient. And I don't think people will like know the full, like I'm not even getting the full, like, you know, greatness to it. <laughs> that is so cool. I have to say that's so cool. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much for breaking it down for me. I also didn't realize like how much of a process there was before it. Of that's course I assumed there was, there was some like intensive, like community level, I suppose, like harvesting that went on, but I didn't realize how much really goes into creating a shea butter. It's the body. And I think that was like one of the things that really struck me when I started was like learning about the process and seeing that like, these are women that are using their body to create this thing that literally is healing other people and people are putting it on their skin and they are, they're literally women are whipping for almost 30 to 45 minutes with their their arms and they're women from the ages of their 20s to their 60s you know those are people's grandmothers those are like and it was really interesting to see that like there was no level of full sustainability for them to be financially stable like you know it just didn't make sense when you're putting in so much work and we all know how much the beauty industry is benefiting off of this ingredient. No, absolutely. And I think you bring to light that there is this ethical portion that needs to be dealt with and really like reckoned with is important, especially you mentioned about 75% of beauty products have some form of shea in it. It's really interesting to think that we're also reliant, even when you were saying palm oil, that really like triggered me because palm oil is in everything. It's awful and it's in everything. And there's this reckoning with palm oil that, I mean, there are big advocates, but I think the general public, like they'll certainly remember 
the orangutans and the deforestation, but it's like, let's talk even more deeply that there's more products that this is a problem with. And you do so much work with these women. Like you talk to me about going to Ghana, talk to me about like sourcing the people who help sustain your business. Like what is that, I guess, very personal supply chain Yeah, I was, you know, again, I feel like I really came into entrepreneurship with a, like, a consciously naive mindset. (laughs) Like, in the way of, like, because I didn't really understand the rules of, like, source and, like, I was just going it in the sense of, like, you've got to do right by these people. Like, you know, I was not trying to even, like, the beauty mindset of it, I never came into this space as, like, I want to be the next beauty you know founder that's like top of the world or something like that it was more so I was just like honestly this shit is fucked up like (laughs) that's how I felt I was just like I saw these videos of women doing work and I was just like I want to know who these women are I want to like I want to pay them directly and first I was sourcing for my aunt and I was like, where do you get your shit? She's like, oh, everyone gets it from Tamale. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to go to Tamale. And so my parents were like, we've never even been to Tamale. And we have Ghanaian passports. I mean, who are you? <laughs> like, to just be going to Tamale like that. And I was like, you're right. But like, I feel like I should just buy from the women. I should not just buy directly from Accra. Like, because they get it from them. And I just want to know. So I went to, in 2017, I went to Ghana. And at this point, you weren't selling yet. At this point, it was just for you, correct? No, at this point, I was, I had, yeah, I launched. So basically, when I decided in December 2016, officially, that I would do like this little test of like just selling Shay on Instagram and just tell people like, does anyone want to buy Shay? And then like, I think I made like $200 in that week. And I was like, yo, like, you know, this is the money making venture right here. Yeah. (laughs) I was like $200, you know? And so at that point I had already been watching these videos and understanding like about like, you know, kind of like a little bit obsessed about how the process was being made and just like in general about like shea butter and like all of that so for me originally i was like okay i'll start this little brand whatever um <laughs> or whatever and and then i'll use the money from the launch to go back to ghana to learn more about the woman and then i'll like document it and share like i wasn't like it wasn't more it was really focused about telling this story and letting people understand that this is like, you know, there's people behind these products, you know, that was more that's of it. So like, oh my God, that's so like emotional. I have to imagine because you're here on this moral mission to tell people about the story of women around the world yeah. that they're consuming their products and not realizing where they're coming from. That's yeah, so... I don't think I was coming... Like, honestly, I was not even thinking of it, like, moral. I was just kind of like, this is wild. <laughs> I was like, also, it was, like, 2016. I was over the U.S. Like, I was over, like, there was so much happening, and I was very much at the front line. Not As a Black woman, you're at the front lines of anything when it comes to racial, like, anything that happens in the U.S. because it's going to affect you. But also as a teacher, there was just a lot going on in Chicago. I was also involved in a lot of activism work 
where I was um, running like Twitter spaces for activists, like for Asada's daughter. And like, so I was seeing everything. I was like, you know, ICE was, there was just so much like that was when Trump was elected and you're, I was honestly fed up. I was ready to leave. I was just like, and I also felt like not, I didn't really understand how I could continue like being beneficial to like my community here um, without it causing too much anxiety for me. And I knew that I also was Ghanaian, like I am Ghanaian and I still have community outside. And that's a very, that's very privileged. And so for me going back to Ghana, when I decided to launch was like, it was, that was in the plan from the beginning. It's like, go back, you're gonna find who your actual like, you know, the sources, and then you can just purchase directly. And, you know, we'll go from there. And so like, that was kind of like the plan before the launch anyways. And then when I launched is when I went to Ghana. So it was like, I went to Accra, hadn't been to Accra for like, I don't even know how long, but it was a long time, like a lot of years. And the first two weeks, I was just chilling. I was like with my cousin, Nana, he's like my favorite. <laughs> we were just hanging out. I was like meeting people, people that like, you know, you're connecting on Instagram with beforehand, you know, all these different creatives. And then I was like, okay, you guys, I have to go to Tamalit. And like, what my cousin was supposed to go with me, he couldn't go. My friend was supposed to go with me, she can't go. I was like, man, I'm going by myself. I don't have time for this. Like, I'm just gonna go. And luckily my aunt hooked me up with this driver named Pa, who literally has changed like all of Hanahana's lives and why Hanahana is probably even at the place that we are. And he was my driver and he was the one who connected me to the women. He like picked me up. He's like, your aunt told me that you wanna meet cooperatives. And I was just like this girl with big hair and a nose ring in Tamale, which is a very Muslim conservative culture. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, I would love to learn about Shay. I would love to buy some Shay. And he's like, okay, cool. Um, I know some women, a cooperative. Let me, let's go over. And so literally like we drove to this cooperative, the Katarga cooperative, which we still source from. And we met the women. And I remember meeting um, Miminatu and Samantha. Samantha's one of the head leaders. Um, and they're like, okay, come back. <laughs> they're like, you know what? I don't know who this little girl is, but whatever, come back. We'll like show you whatever. And I was like, oh my God. Okay. And I came back and they literally like just showed me how they made Shay and they let me record. And I didn't know at the time, but Pa had told them that I was like an NGO person because there was history around a lot of taxi drivers bringing people there and then people would pay the taxi drivers. But then the woman would just like educate all these people about the Shay and they were like, you know, either there was some thieving that was going on, some stealing. So I didn't even realize this pot ended up telling me, he's like, yeah, I just had to tell him that you're part of NGO. But I was so honest about everything that like, I didn't, I was just like, yeah, I own a business. I want to buy from you. I don't have a lot of like money and I don't even know where this is about to go but I would love to like buy maybe 50 kilos or something. And they're like, okay. And I remember they gave me the price and I was shocked because I was like, this is, this is actually, I can't do this. This feels so silly because at that time they were selling a kilo of Shea for almost, I think at that time it was like four, 
four cities or 4.39 cities or something, which was even under a dollar a kilo. So you knew you had a red flag and you were like, yeah, and I'm no like this is, yeah. And it just felt weird. Cause I was like, this is not a lot of money. Like it would come up to almost like $50 for 50 kilos. And I just saw all the work that they just did. So you were like, there's no way that you're paying yourself correctly. I'm sorry to cut you off. I'm just so taken back. This whole scenario is, is bananas. Yeah. I was like, this doesn't really make sense. Like, can I just pay double? Like that was just like, I was like, can I just pay double? Like, I don't, I didn't really have money either. Cause like, obviously 50 would be a steal. Like I maybe during this time since the launch had maybe made a, like, you know, $3,000 or something like, you know, but I was just like, okay, like I just got to pay something a little bit more. So I, like my promise was just like, I'm going to make sure that I can share these, this story and what you guys say in a very intentional way and not just like an Instagram thing, like very intentional. So I remember I came back and I did a partnership with Visco um, and they did this like, you know, article about the women called The Process. And I just started pushing the whole thing called The Process and I did like activations. And it was like, I did one at South by Southwest. I did one in Ghana, we launched it in Ghana. Um, We did like a small pop-up like in New York or something, I think. Yeah, and it was just like these small activations where it was teaching people about the process of shea butter, but also showing the women's and their photos and like their words of like what their experiences were. And it was like very, oh, it was in LA. Yeah, it was in LA that we did it. And it was like, I don't know, it's so interesting to think back because I'm like, I was like, I did photography and things like that, but like, my photography now is so much better than it was even then, but it was just, I was so, I don't know. I get really like, I think the same thing. Yeah. Like I want to be good at what I'm doing and I want it to turn out really good. And it's like, if that's what it's going to be, then I want to make sure it is, you know? And from there, that's just, you know, as Hannah Hannah grew, that's always been our foundation. And I went back to Ghana after I graduated from my master's and I went there and stayed there for nine months. And we would do like these just manager meetings where I would meet with the cooperative on a monthly basis. And we like just learning about what is the best way to form the relationship? What are the ways that we can have access? What are the ways that we can create access? Like what is really needed? What does it look like to be sustainable? And I think for me, I just knew coming in though, I did not want to be a charity because I did not feel like charities were sustainable. And it just felt, and I was just learning a lot about like, you know, your micro financing and like just really in this, like more of the social impact world and learning how people were doing things where it would seem sustainable, but then not, but then what was actually working. And I like, I mean, I'm so lucky for the first three years of Hana Hana to be able to like had a slow and steady growth where people definitely knew about us, but I had the control over the growth. And a lot of the time I spent like learning about these different ways and how to really create our best foundation. Like I went to Costa Rica to learn about like the coffee farmers, you know, and how, what sustainability looks there and how I can mimic some of those things. Cause I knew coffee was such this place that was, you know, kind of being quite regulated in a sustainable way as much as possible during that time. But it also wasn't too. So you would find these pockets of people that were doing amazing things. And uh, I was just like getting connected and 
we just had to figure out a way for me. I was like, I want to figure out an intentional way to have this relationship with these women that is beneficial. So now what we have created is like one, we pay two times the asking price. So right now that we just bought a ton. And when I say a ton, like an actual a shipment container of a ton, but it was like a literal ton. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a little <laughs> ton. And that like I think the asking price right now was around maybe like 16 cities. Um so we pay 36 cities then for the Shea. We double it. And so you know yeah it's we just make sure we pay um twice that but then we also have different benefits that we hold under the Hanahana circle of care. And that is being able to address different things of like access and benefits that, you know, right now you and I, if we work for a corporation, we get benefits. So it's like, why don't cooperatives get benefits? So we provide healthcare through our um, biannual healthcare days. And we also are just looking at different ways of optimization and sustainable ways for the women to work because that was what there was important for them is like our health and actually enjoying work and one of those things were the process the actual process so like this year we finally were able to get a kneading machine which now relieviates the women from actually having to do this for 35 minutes or to 40 minutes or whatever now they have a machine that they're able to utilize and they're able to control and so we do like we just do a lot of different things that aren't just our ideas it's based off of the women and what we can also do because we are a growing company and we are not a charity so there comes times where sometimes we're like okay well let's problem solve because sustainability is about actually problem solving and thinking about what are the different ways of how this can happen because let's say we as a business decided to go to another cooperative I don't want to leave the, Qatar, the cooperative in a way that they feel like, oh, no, I want them to be in a place where they would be like, well, any, because we're not their only, you know, their customer, they have other people, but they can now start being like, you know, we've worked with this group. We want to make sure you give us these benefits too. Or if you're going to work with us, this is our pricing or, you know, this is how we move. So. Goodness. Oh my goodness. Healthcare days is such a special direct way to give back. I have so much like admiration for the fact that you've gone the extra mile. It's not just about fair wages. It's like, how do we improve lives across the board? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like, that's the thing is like, how can you just continue to like, you know, help people get what they want. (laughs) And I think everyone should have access to healthcare. So I mean, we just have our healthcare day coming up, which I'm really excited about um, because this past year, well, in 2020, I missed both of our health, well, one of our healthcare days um, because of COVID. So this is our first biannual of this year. We do two healthcare days a year. Um, This is actually, we're going into our, I think our third year of doing um, the healthcare days which is really exciting. Um, and so this year's focus on nutrition um, and just like what that looks like. And we work with Nat, who is our healthcare coordinator, who's also the son of Pa, um, who is our late driver. And he runs our healthcare unit. So like we're going, I'm going back, our health, um, our social impact lead is going with me to Ghana. We're like really excited because we're gonna, you know, be working on this, but also some really cool projects that will be coming up too. So it's exciting. (laughs) Yeah, that was really long-winded. I'm really sorry. 
I gotta tell you how I have been spending my little silly afternoon walks lately. We are still mostly stuck at home, but I'm doing my best to get out and enjoy this nice spring weather that we're experiencing more and more of. So lately, I've been going to get myself a coffee in the middle of the day, just treating myself to a little oat milk latte from my local coffee shop that I enjoy so much. Something that helps me validate those middle of the day oat milk lattes is that my money is with Aspiration. Aspiration uses my spare change of every purchase to plant a tree. I love it. And I also love that Aspiration will never use my money to invest in fossil fuels. If you are looking for a way to earn more interest, get more cash back, I have to encourage you to check out Aspiration, a new way to manage your money. You can learn more details and even earn up to $200 when you open an account at aspiration.com slash eco. I'm so thankful they're sponsoring this show because this seems like the most on-brand thing I can encourage you to do. There's more to using your money than conscious consumerism. It's really about that spare change. It's about those trees. It's about making sure you're investing in the right places. So check it out, aspiration.com slash eco. Now back to the show. Oh, oh my goodness. Well, the first thing I have to say is like, I'm dying to be you. I love you going to a Costa Rican coffee farm and going to Ghana and seeing the cooperative. And like, I am dying to be the kind of learner that you like so clearly are. You're so immersive and I love that so much. And I also think that you've thought about this so thoroughly when you talk about sustainability being about problem solving. And I appreciate that. And the, the thing that I really would love for you to expand for me, I'm like really harping on this word access. Because you said earlier, access is a huge concern for you when you think about your co-op. And then, I mean, that's also, you're running a business and access is a whole other issue when you're talking about the consumer side. So what does access mean to you as a sustainable business owner? I think so. Like for me, access is the opportunity to learn about something. And I feel like when that opportunity is taken away, then you're not given access. And so even when you think of clean beauty, right? Like clean beauty or natural beauty is indigenous beauty. It's like, it comes from black people, but yet clean beauty now is becoming this thing where it's like black owned, clean beauty, blah, 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 like all these buzzwords, but clean beauty was not accessible to black people, you know, and not to drop names or anything of brands. It's just like these brands that were flourishing in the beginning on the natural and clean was not accessible to the people it actually came from the people that could identify to it, right? Because of price points. So like, sometimes when we think of access, we think of it in the sense of like money right away, but also it's in the sense of like, also people didn't even know, like myself didn't even know that that was like being a capital, like what the difference was. Like I was using Palmer's and seeing cocoa butter and thinking that meant, you know, it's a whole cocoa butter, like, you know what I mean? So I think access for me really comes from this like, opportunity to understand and maybe that's because I'm a teacher like like that's my background of like thinking in that way of like how do I give access and so when you think of it in that way then you think about like then you start to think about okay the opportunity to learn has to do with environment the opportunity to learn has to do with how you can think how you can learn about things open to things like being able to witness or not and that was something again like when you're a teacher, if one kid comes to you 
like I could do, I could teach someone something and in this way and they don't understand it. And then I can make it a project and they do. Or like we could be having a fun conversation but it could honestly be about like real shit. You know what I mean? Like we could be, the kids would be learning, but because they felt comfortable, they felt like they could be in this environment where they could share and tell and like, you know, be open, then, you know, that's access. So I really think about it like that. And so because I think about access in that way, I really think about how do you create these opportunities? You know, what are the different ways that we can create access? It's not just like financially, like do our products need to be at a certain price hold or not or whatever. It's just how do you create access to different types of people? So maybe it's through our product, you're learning about it and learning about yourself and connecting, you know, to the shea butter or taking the time to put on or it's our platform or you're like being able to see the imagery and what we're telling and the openness with that. If that's a level of access we can give the transparency and openness we give about our actual process, you know, if there's a level of inspiration or whatnot, and then also to the women. And I think it's like, how do we continue to give access to the people that are also sustaining us? So like, if this business wouldn't be working without the producers, this business wouldn't be working without my team and also our like community that it's purchasing. So how do you continue to give this certain level of access that one, we say we are going to and strive to. And like right now, the biggest focus is about team on like right now and also our producers. And then also at the same time, because we understand to be able to do this, we have to focus on how we reach more of our consumers and give them access to. So, and I think it's holistic, right? I feel like sometimes we don't wanna take time to see how something can be used in a holistic view. And honestly, I just feel like everything we talk about should be looked at in a holistic mindset, but also at the same time, realizing that mindset is such a big thing and people need to feel comfortable to change their mindset or to learn or to be open, you know? like. It's just like, I don't know, maybe it's that's like the like therapy really be teaching you things, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And no, <laughs> you are hitting it. You are hitting it. No, honestly, I say that a lot with climate change. Like I told you, my background is in climate science and climate change for a long time. And it still kind of is. It's siloed in this thing that like you talk about it in one sense and then you can like move on with your day and like maybe you're concerned about it, but you move on with your day. And that's not really the way that we should be talking about it. It should be talking about it in the sense of like, all right, how is climate change intersecting with politics with beauty with um you know with home design there's a you can do it with anything you could literally do it with anything but if we're not making these connections for people they're probably not going to make it on their own it's kind of it's difficult to push yourself outside of that comfort zone of like how you already view the world I think transparency is like the thing that I admire the most about Hanahana honestly I mean there's a lot of things that I admire about you and about your business but I think what I like so much is even on the topic of access and you were saying like, we need to meet a certain price point and we also need to pay people fairly. You even say it, it's, I don't know if it's on your jars, but it's definitely on your website somewhere that you said we made smaller jars because we need to be paying people fairly and we need to keep this at a fair price point. So it's like, okay, why are we rebranding or repackaging or doing whatever it is that we're doing? You're being so honest and transparent and you're continuing to bring that supply chain along with the story. And that's a level of, a level of access, a level of transparency that I genuinely have not seen anywhere else. And I think that's why I'm so 
attracted to your brand and like inclined to buy. And I'm like, here, like take my $28, like just take whatever, take whatever you want. Like, I just, I want to support you. Like, I love you. I trust you. Like you're doing the right thing. So anyway, long story short, I think transparency at, at the end of the day, looks like what you're really leading with day to day. Yeah. And it's like, and I think the transparency about is knowing when you don't need to be saying a lot of things to it. Right. And being okay with saying that it's been so interesting because it's like, Social media makes everything like <laughs> feel so much more. And so I think there's this way of like being like, okay, this is the brand. This is what we're doing. This is how we move. This is also me as a person. And I will be also transparent to a certain level of what I want to put out. But also transparency, I'm a closed off person too. And I am an all human being that is trying to figure out what it means also to be a founder and start a business and follow a mission and move and grow. And I think we just have to like, I don't know, at quarantine, maybe I hope gave people a chance and as everything is opening up, which sadly it seems like chaos is just continuing to grow, but I hope it just gives people this time, like just look at people as a whole and like allow things just kind of like move in that way because I think that's how I look at it even with transparency as a brand we're just like we're a whole brand we're growing we're moving and we can continue to change and elevate and how we can because at the end of the day we're four years old and like I don't remember what I was doing at four other than what I just told you and so it's like if I make mistakes now even I'm four and so this is time to like grow and learn but I want to continue to build a foundation and I feel like fact that we can build this foundation now of transparency, access, and sustainability, it's built up for, so it's going to continue. You know what I mean? Like Chi, I was learning Chi six months to three, and it's still within my identity, you know? So let's just continue with that with the brand too. Oh my goodness. Well, that's seriously like such a beautiful way to understand your own identity and understand like what you're putting out into the world right now doesn't have to be how you are forever. I think that's really powerful. And I think I mean, I don't want to like project this on you obviously at all, but there's this sense of like doing something new and innovative that people I imagine are looking to you or saying like, how do I do what you're doing? How do I think about sustainability more deeply in my supply chain? How do, do you have a lot of those like outreach emails from other small business owners? Do you feel like, do you feel like you have this sort of like innate duty to the beauty community now to like be an example? Okay. So I honestly don't have that pressure. Like, I mean, people ask me questions and do all this stuff, but I'm like, I'm doing podcasts. I'm talking very open and honestly, I'm like, I'm not a beauty girl in the sense of what maybe people want or look for, but I feel like I utilize my platform in the way that I know how. And when those questions are being asked of me, in conversations like this, in comment, like, I feel like I give out a lot of information, um, but I'm not like, I don't plan to be one of those people. And I mean, maybe I, maybe I will, but I just don't utilize my platform in a way that I'm going to answer every question or that if you've asked me, I must answer. Cause that's just like a lot of weight. And also it's just like, as a black woman, like, I don't know. I just feel like people shouldn't be asking me so many questions all the time. Like I shouldn't, like, like I don't need to be teaching you all the time. Like I'm giving you energy. But I, I think anyone that has 
the honor to listen to an honest Black woman speak about their experiences should allow themselves to just take from that as much as they can. Like, I think even just within this conversation, you've set a space where I can be honest and open and share about my business and everything. And I think like that, that itself should be inspiration or like answer those types of questions. And I think sometimes, obviously then you can, if you feel a connection and you feel it both back and forth, you know, that you want to continue to progress or do whatever you, you do what you, you know, what you do with that, obviously, but I really don't hold any pressure to myself to have to like answer things. And that was because I'm just not that person. I like, I think I just realized what's for me and what's not for me. And I may seem like a very, I am very bubbly and excited and like in a good mood, but also I like time to myself and I work a lot. So <laughs> the last thing I want to do is answer questions on social media, but I will always make sure that when I am speaking or in a place where it's supposed to be a place of education, or if I'm putting anything outside that I'm being cautious of one, if it's serving me, but then also how it can serve other people too. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a really elevated way to think about your platform because you're right. It's an honor to learn from you and you do give out a lot of information. Like I said, when I first became aware of Shea Butter at all, it was through you. And I was like, oh, thank God someone's teaching me about this, but it was on another podcast. It was on the Naked Beauty podcast. And I was like, tell me everything. (laughs) And it, it gave me the catalyst to like do my own research and keep digging and like learn something for myself. And And I think also, like, obviously, I am in no position to talk about anything like too in depth to the level that you are. But I think even with the podcast, not that I'm, you know, Joe Rogan or anything out here, but every once in a while, I'll get those emails that are like, all right, how do I do it? Like, how do I start? And I'm like, figure it out. Like, I can tell you my experience, but I'm not here to like give you the, the roadmap. Yeah. And there's some people that are there for that. You know what I mean? And I think that's amazing. I just know I'm not that person. You know what I mean? Right. Sometimes if people even like ask me for things, I'll be like, oh, I'll even sometimes send them um, to Trinity who runs gold. She does this thing called like office hours. And I'm like, yo, go check it out. Cause my gal was out here giving y'all lives and information. And I think you should go there. Or I'll be like, these are the things like, especially when it comes to funding and like grants and like writing and taking time to be in the mindset to write. I'll share about those experiences because I know how hard it is when starting a business being like, I need money. How do I do it? But it's like, there's so much free money out here too. And like, you know, being able to put those things out. And if someone's like, should I do this? I'm like, I did it for this reason. I think it's a great opportunity. You know, that I will always do that. And I feel like too, I, I make sure that the people that I know are within my community, the people that show me love and share, I give that back as much and more as much as I can. You know what I mean? So I feel like there's just different ways to give to the community, but sometimes it's not all through just responding in DMs because that can be a Right. <laughs> like nothing is necessarily a secret, but yeah. you have to figure it out too. Like you'll give what yeah. you can, but you don't really have to. Exactly. That's a good boundary to have within yourself. The last thing I want to ask you about, because I have to imagine, obviously you're overworked. Like you work a lot, you hustle, you travel, you're constantly learning, you're putting out so much for your community. And you also run a brand that talks a lot about self-care and is a self-care brand. So what does self-care look like to you? How do you take care of yourself? 
So I feel like everyday self-care is like how I try to look at it. I really, I think it's just about root, like creating routines to literally take care of yourself and to be thoughtful about how you feel. I think that's how I've leveled self-care to be like skincare is self-care for me. Doing my doctor's appointment is self-care, you know, like taking a breather, even sometimes the fact that I need to have a panic attack is like the release of some level of a self-care moment, right? Or a recognition that I need to do something and attend to my body. And so I think I just try to utilize it in that way and just like actively on a daily measure, like do things. Like my mornings are so important to me to be able to like, just like actually rest in the morning, like active resting in the sense of like from doing workout or like just, taking time for myself before everyone comes in. Um, you know, like just the relationships that I'm, the people that are around me is a level of self-care and being just intentional about like who and what and being honest with myself, you know? So I feel like my answer self-care continues to evolve. And because also I always just joke, it's like, bruh, how can we be a brand that talks about self-care and not give us self-care? You know what I mean? And self-care, I think also is being like a level of, it's very hard too, because you have to confront a lot of things. I don't think self-care is just like doing your nails and all those things, but it's also like sustained. Like how do you actually sustain yourself? So then it just goes back to sustainability. <laughs> so then now we're back <laughs> to... <laughs> Oh my goodness. No. Oh my goodness. Well, I think obviously I believe that you have a very healthy understanding of self-care because once I came to terms with the fact that self-care could be a morning routine, that changed my life. I was like, yeah. and even I probably don't have the healthiest morning routine because the first thing I listen to in the morning is NPR and that's awful. That's, I, listen, I mean, I feel you. My in the I shower do. podcast is, um, New York times, the daily. Yeah. <laughs> What's my next one? <laughs> yeah, it's good to stay informed, but I'm also like, that's oh, my God, only the world big, is crumbling. Yeah, that's like my only like news outlet to be honest. At times, like, and like, I do yeah. not like TV news, so it's like reading things or listening to things, and like, it's my podcast time. So it's just making time for yourself, and if that's part of your care for yourself, like, I think, like, owing that to your body to allow you to do that is. Hope you loved that conversation with Abena of Hanahana Beauty. I cannot recommend her and her story and her brand enough. Oh my goodness. Just listening back to this episode, I feel so good about it. And I know that you're going to enjoy it so much, or I guess at this point that you did enjoy it so much. So if that's the case, why don't you leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, follow along, share this episode with a friend, tag me on your Instagram story, send it to the group chat, get it out there. Thank you so much for tuning in. I, again, cannot wait to hear your feedback on social. All my links are down below. Hana Hana's links are down below. I will link Abena's Instagram as well if you're interested in getting in touch with her. And I hope you are having a beautiful day. Thanks so much for tuning in. And I can't wait to talk to you next week. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.